The next element of the heart that we're going to do today is anger. Anger in the Arabic language is called ghadab. Ghadab, and you will have seen this in the Quran Karim and Surah Al-Fatiha, غير المغذوبي غضب means anger. So Imam Malud says what we do for a couple people who are new is we read out his poem. Imam Malud wrote a poem in which he put in verse form all of the ailments of the heart and all their cures. Many people have written commentaries on this poem. I'm, so to speak, giving a live uh, English commentary on this poem. As for the swelling ocean of all these diseases, I mean anger. If you come to its shore, you will see great astonishment. So he's describing anger as an ocean, which has tides, the low tide of anger, the high tide of anger, and if you get caught up in the high tide and the waves, it will wash you away. <laughs> it will wash you away. So if you come to its shore, you will see great astonishments. Its waves and everything else about it are overflowing. So say of it what you will without constraint. In other words, because anger itself is overflowing, overburdening, overpowering a person. And he says, I'm going to also speak about it with no hold back, with no restraint, because anger is something that eliminates a person's restraint. It has two treatments. One of them removes it altogether without trace. The first treatment is going to remove anger entirely. The other suppresses it should it manifest itself. So it allows anger to pop up, but you suppress it, then it pops up again, then you suppress it. To be adorned with the ornament of its cure, remember the extensive praise lavished upon forbearance and humility. Now this is the notion of opposites. Now whenever you have a bad attribute, one way to remove that or counter that is to develop inside yourself the good attribute that is the counter to that. So the words he is using here, forbearance and humility in Arabic, this is hilm and idz. Forbearance is hilm, to be halim. This is one of Allah Taala's attributes. What does it mean to have hilm? Hilm means to have ikhtiyar, to have kudrat, to have the ability or power to do something, but you hold yourself back. And this is why Allah Taala is called al-halim, because it's his majesty, it's his might, that he could intervene on earth. And many people misunderstand this, or they're perplexed. The atheist comes to them and says, why? Does your God, if he's merciful, allow famine to take place or murder to take place or rape to take place or all of these evil things to take place? Maliha. All of these things take place not because they're the wish of Allah Subhanahu It's not his wish. His irada means that he has willed, he has willed for us to live in such a way that we have the freedom to obey, disobey, believe, disbelieve, the freedom to hurt and harm others, the freedom to help and benefit others. Now, it is adult demands that he should intervene immediately. That not a single act of injustice should be allowed to take place, but his hill tempers that adult, that forbearance. He restrains himself temporarily. Because remember, this world is like a flash of a second, right? As compared to pre-eternity, Allah SWT has been around forever. So those of you know math, being around forever would be called negative infinity on a timeline. And Allah SWT is going to be there forever for infinity. Now, what type of gap can there be between this? It's zero. Even if this world has been around for 10 trillion years, everybody in math knows that 10 trillion over infinity equals zero. This is mathematics. Any number over infinity. So any number compared to for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is suspending his justice for an insignificant, trivial fraction of a millisecond, right? And he only does that out of his helm. Otherwise, he would intervene. He would, anytime anybody tried to do something, he would intervene. 
So Halim means that now we have to have this attribute as well. We have him, which does this mean that a person, when you have anger, you have ikhtiyar, you have the ability. You may have the ability to harm someone, you might have the ability to vent your anger, you may have the ability to take out your anger on another person. If you have hell means you control, you suppress your anger. Do not act in anger, do not act in haste. So one thing is to develop hell inside of ourselves. An interesting hadith on the fazail of the imama. Imama is a completely optional thing. It's an optional sunnah. You take the turban off, no sin. But one of the benefits mentioned for hadith is the Prophet said that wear an imama so you increase in hell. A friend of mine in Chicago, when he read this hadith, he was a very jazbati guy. So he used to sleep with his imama. He read this hadith and said, okay, this is my cure, and I will keep this turban on at all times. The person's niyyah. The person's niyyah isn't to wear the imama. The person's niyyah was to cure himself. And that's his ikhlas. And if anybody wants to cure themselves of any spiritual ailment, sincerely, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself brings about the cure. These methods and techniques given in the teachings are just bahanas. They're just means and medium to make a person get that ikhlas. If you are mukhlas about curing yourself of anger, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself can take it away. So the first thing is hilm. And the second thing is humility. Ids. Right? You have to have humbleness. Sometimes what happens is arrogance leads very, uh, anger leads very quickly to arrogance, to takabbar. Especially acting when you're angry. Acting when you're in a state of anger and if you're able to do something, a person who is humble will realize. Right? And, and, and some of these things are coming up. Uh, forbearance and humility and sacred law. So remember the praise. First step he's mentioning as a cure is remember how praiseworthy it is to be halim, to have ids, to have sabr. Remember the sawab for the sabr. Many times when we act out of anger, it's not going to help anything. It's just because we have uncontrollable anger. The anger itself is not going to solve our problem. The only thing it's going to do, it's going to prevent us from getting the sabr and the reward of that sabr that we could have had. That's it. We got nothing from acting in anger except destroying the reward that we could have had by remaining in sabr. And as a remember, the extensive praise lavished upon hilm and ids in the sharia as well as in the poetry and prose of the hukamah of the wise. Indeed, remember that all of the prophets have been depicted as having both qualities. So this is a nabawi quality, to have hilm and ids, to have forbearance, and this is what we're all on earth for, to pattern ourselves after the anbiya. And in our case in particular, to pattern ourselves after Sayyid al-Anbiya al-Mursaleen, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu So he was a person of extreme humility, not known to ever have any instance have come to anger, been provoked many times, provoked by the kuffar, provoked by people of taif, no shortage of provocation, but absolute hilm and ids, absolute forbearance and humility. Repel anger, now what are some of the cures? Okay, so first cure is to remember the opposites, right? To make ourselves a person of Halim and Ids. Second, another way this has been mentioned, I should say, is that when you realize that Allah subhanahu wa is Al-Halim, and we are Abdul Halim, and in a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, he said that تَخَلَّقُوا بِأَخْلَاقِ الله, That you should adorn yourself with the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is true for that attribute, it's not true for all attributes, but it's true for the attribute of Al-Halim. What does that mean? That okay, I'm angry. Many people ask, well, what about justifiable anger? I'm justifiably angry. Somebody really did something wrong that made me upset. So why can't I be angry? Then jaiz ghussa. This is the Urdu. Jaiz ghussa. Yes, there is something called jaiz ghussa. And if you want to see the real justifiable anger, that would be Allah Ta'ala's anger at us. He should justifiably be angry when he looks at our state, when he looks at how distant we've been become from him. 
So when you remember Allah's helm, that can make you halim. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm justifiably angry. But if I act on this anger, what will happen on the day of judgment if you also treat me the same way I'm about to treat this person? And if you look that you are justifiably angry and you get angry with me, then there's no hope for me. So what I will do is I will exercise him today. I will control, maybe forgive, overlook, sideline my anger today, hoping that on, perhaps in return for this, you will exercise him with me on the day of judgment and you will give up your justifiable anger against me. Similarly, the thing of age, another way you can get age is thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not only is Al-Halim, but He is Al-Akbar. So when you feel that you're big, and then you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you realize that compared to Allah, I'm nothing. I'm insignificant. I'm infinitesimal. Right? I'm extremely minor life form. Who am I to feel any notion of power or arrogance or ikhtiyar to feel any type of jazbah? So that was number one, Hillman age. Number two, Repel anger by perceiving at its onset. This words are key. At its onset. When the anger is starting, it's bubbling. Right? Not when the pot boils over. At its onset that there is no one doing anything in reality except the Almighty. This is called in Arabic that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the fa'il hakiki He is the true actor. So another way to look at this, well, if somebody is doing this to me, if somebody did something to me, wronged me, provoked me, it's the wish of Allah that I be provoked. This used to happen. Right? There were very famous stories of this, right, of people. For example, there was a very famous uh, sheikh, and he had just shaved his head, and he went and he sat on a ferry. And the ferry was crossing the river, and he sat down, and he was making some ibadah, some type of zikr, and some young men sort of start playing around with his head, his hand is freshly shaved, they like to touch it, like to beat on it. So one young man came, gave it a little stroke, another one came, gave it a couple of strokes, they got more and more bold, one of them slapped it, Right? So then they started really, I mean, having to, going beyond the license of perhaps good humor. So it's a hikayah, it's a parable. Allahu alam whether such a thing really happens, but there's a lesson in the moral in the story. So the story continues that, that Allah spawned inspired to that shaykh that if you want, they have disrespected you, I can make this boat drown and save you and bring you to shore. So he said that, oh Allah, if you wish to overturn their boat, if you have that power, and surely Allah SWT does, rather I wish that you overturn the boat of their hearts. He said, overturn the boat of their hearts and bring them to Iman. Right? Maybe suggesting that he was traveling with, in, in a land of non-Muslims. And that is apparently what happened, that he made this dua, and Allah SWT granted get hibdai to all of those people. But the notion here is him. He didn't do anything. There was a woman who used to throw garbage on the Prophet ﷺ every day. One day he was walking, no garbage was thrown. He got worried. <laughs> what happened to her? He found out about her. He never bothered to trace her who she was. Never bothered in any way. This day when the garbage didn't come, he found out, asked people, do you know who that woman was? He traced her whereabouts, traced her home, went to her home, knocked on her home. Or she saw it was Rasulullah She thought that finally he's come to take some badla, take some revenge. He said that, no, old woman, I've just come to ask you what happened to you today. You didn't throw the garbage. Maybe you were sick. Maybe you were ill. Maybe there's some difficulty in which I can help you. <laughs> Allah Akbar Kabira. Obviously, that woman then accepted the Prophet as her prophet, her leader, her messenger, her idol, her model, her role model. Right? So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the hakiki To know that whatever is happening is happening to Allah. So, if Allah wishes, maybe Allah ta'ala is saving me from a bigger zillat. By making me zillil, this person is saying two, three words about me. Maybe Allah Ta'ala wants me. Maybe there's something I've done in my life that I actually deserve a much bigger punishment. 
if I can content myself by listening to these two, three words of this person, maybe Allah will stave off a greater punishment. Allah's wish. Allah's wish today that somebody mock me, somebody make fun of me, somebody slight me, somebody provoke me, somebody oppress me. Like, let's see if I can handle it, if I can bear it with summer. Maybe if I bear this test or trial with summer, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will save me from a bigger test, trial, or calamity. So the first thing was to, jazakallah, adorn yourself with hilm and ids. And the second thing was to remember that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the fa'ili hakiki. Allah ta'ala put me in the situation. That is what it means, inna allaha ma'asabirin. Right? Allah Ta'ala's mayat is with you at that moment because He put you in that situation. If you have sabr, then you will get Him. You will get His mayat. So why not have sabr and get the mayat of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala? Third thing that is mentioned is to do perform wudu with cold water. This is a very physical thing. Right? This also shows you the barakah of wudu. The power of wudu. You have to do wudu. And if you were there on Saturday, you remember from the workshop to do wudu in a state of dhikr. To do wudu consciously and aware of what we're doing. And you do wudu with cold water, it will soothe you. It will calm you down. Perhaps the coolness of the water will have some effect and calm down the warmth of the heat of our anger. Right? And obviously it's going to take a thinking person. It's going to take a person who's trained. Otherwise we given to our anger like this. Who even has time to even think, oh yeah, I heard this one thing once, I should go make wudu. We're too rash. We're too quick to act. So the third thing is to make wudu with cold water. Number four. It's to be silent. If you're speaking and the anger is coming in form of an argument, just become silent. Refrain from speech. Perhaps then you will cure anger. The fifth thing is mentioned is to lie down if one is sitting, sit down if one is standing, to change one's position. If we change our physical position, this itself is being mentioned as perhaps this will make us be able to cure our anger. These, these last uh, two things are actually cures for anger mentioned in hadith. That the Prophet said that when one of you feels anger, you can make wudu. Or when one of you feels anger, you should change your position. And the anger will pass by doing these things. On the last thing, which would be number six. Number six. Also by seeking refuge with Allah. Right? Reciting ta'awwuz. Perhaps from shaitan. Maybe this anger is from shaitan. Saying, A'udhu billahi min shaitan rajim. Or simply just seeking refuge in the mutlaqan from your nafs or from whatever it is. Right? From whatever it is, maybe the hasid of a hasidin is putting you in anger. Right? Whenever we recite that surah, we always think that we're saying that Allah saved me from the effect of the envy or when he envies. We're also saying, Allah, I seek refuge in you from my anger, from my response, from my craziness in response to the envy or when he envies. I might go crazy. I might go ballistic because he's envying me. I might do something wrong. So we seek the refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from that as well. The next one we're going to do in the Arabic language is known as heedlessness. Uh, one thing I should mention, right, which I, at the end of the day, there is a type of permissible anger, right? So really this whole discussion was about what we call unlawful anger. Unlawful anger, basically actually when you define what permissible anger is, it's a bit easier and anything other than that is unlawful anger. Permissible anger, and I'm using the same word, but you're going to find even the emotion is different. Permissible anger means you can be upset, disturbed, right, about something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You may be upset or disturbed, quote-unquote, angry about people's open disobedience, 
people's open neglect of worship, people's blatant lack of iman, people's blatant and open and happy adoption of false ideologies, the ideologies of the unbelievers, the ways of the unbelievers. These are things that can upset and disturb a person. But the reason why I'm not using the word anger is because the response to this is not normally what me and you think when we say the word anger. Right? This is something that should be addressed when it's something that's done for the sake of Allah. It also has to be managed for the sake of Allah. So no rash action can be taken on the basis of this. No inflicting or enforcing can be done on the basis of this. No vigilante justice can be done on the basis of this. But rather a kind word, a gentle nasiha, a reminder, a dua. If nothing else, if you cannot invite that person out of that act that is disturbing you, that is morally offending you, then to invite them out of it through words or then to pray for them in dua and to feel it in your heart. We discussed this before when we did this notion of Amr bil Maruf wa Nahay anul Munkar. We did this about uh, a week or two ago. So the whole same thing is going to apply to anger. Another type of permissible anger is another word in Arabic which is called ghayrat. And you have taken this word in Urdu, ghayrat, right? Allah walam how it is used in Urdu and it might be used a bit too much in a tribalistic uh, sense. This is not some type of panchayat or tribalistic ghayrat. But ghayrat means that a little bit of, uh, what would be the best word to put this in English? Self-respect and dignity, right? Self-dignity, self-respect, your honor and to feel upset if somebody violates that. But again, and that is something that has been given to us. Our izzat, Allah subhanahu wa said in the Quran, وَلِلَّهِ الْإِزَّةِ وَلِلْرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ That izzat belongs to Allah, Allah's Messenger, and to the mu'mineen. Obviously, the stout, the kamil mu'mineen. Now, obviously, if our izzat is somehow affronted, or the izzat of our Prophet ﷺ is affronted, or the izzat of our deen is affronted, or the izzat of our Allah is affronted in any way, then you would feel some ghayrat. But again, the way to do amal on that is not to burn the car of your fellow Muslim or to destroy the shop of a fellow Muslim. Allah Akbar. It's nonsensical, right? Ghayra means that you should feel something. You should write. You should defend your deen. You should become a better presenter of your deen. You have to be the means of restoring the izzat. You may not have the ability right now to remove the zillat, but feel all the more the pride in being a Muslim, right? That, okay, look, people are mocking the Prophet. People are making cartoons of the Prophet with a beard and a turban. I don't even have a beard and a turban, right? Something to think about. Even the unbelievers know that this is the sunnah image of the Prophet ﷺ and they use it to mock him, right? So rather than combating that zillah, thinking, okay, but where's my izzat? Where is my izzat, right? Like I was mentioning in another place, right? Is my izzat and is my Prophet ﷺ as mu'azzas to me or is Guru Nanak more mu'azzas to the Sikhs? What if Allah Ta'ala asks us on the Day of Judgment, Right? That look at this person, and for him, he had more love for Guru Nanak than you did for your own Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. What would we do? Let's say we were asked such a question. What would we would do so to restore when you feel that your izzat is threatened, or when zillat is happening. You have to restore your own izzat. Perhaps, perhaps, right? Uh, I'm not saying this is the only reason. I know there are all types of political reasons for what happened in the world. I'm not discounting them in any way. I'm a student, and I've even taught political science here. Right? But other than that, perhaps we should think that maybe, maybe, because we have not given our Prophet his due izzat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has let him become the object of zillat. Because when there was a community such as the Sahaba, that when they were formed, they were established, they gave izzat to the Prophet, it was impossible in their age that anybody bring him zillat. And that continued. But perhaps it's our own sorry state. So we should look inward. We should be pointing our fingers at ourselves. We, are, we might not be the person who drew that figure.
But we might be responsible for the state of the world being such that that figure can be drawn and spread over the world. That's how you should look at it. You have to think proactively, positively. Right? But khair, that is a type of jai's anger. Ghayra. Other than that, that all other types of anger, you can view that some are purely unlawful. That's the other extreme. Right? Before I move to the extreme, in the middle, are these angers that I suggested to you that are justifiable anger. So one is permissible, the other is justifiable anger, but still... The lesson there is to swallow it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned this in the Qur'an al-Kareem, defining the attributes of the believers, and he describes them as وَقَاظِمِينَ الْغَيْسِ غَيْسِ is another word for anger, غَزَبْ and غَيْسِ قَاظِمِينَ means they swallow, they drink their anger, وَآفِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ and they are forgiving, not عَنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَآفِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ that they are willing to forgive humanity. So this also, that verse in the Qur'an al-Kareem makes it clear that anger is something, and that was the second thing you mentioned, you can't eliminate it altogether, swallow it. Swallow it even when it's justifiable, because if you give yourself into it, even the anger itself might be justifiable, but if you give yourself into it, you're going to do something that is normally not justifiable. Normally not something that has a good consequence or has a good outcome. Another example I would give you, it's very unfortunate, not just Pakistan, not just Pakistan, all over the Muslim world, you will find that people divorce their wives in anger. Right? And, and the Prophet made it very clear and has tried to teach us, not in any way. Don't give divorce is not sunnah. The Prophet never divorced and divorce is actually called in the hadith abghuzul mubahat, the most disliked of permissible things. The most repugnant of permissible things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But if somebody has to do so, it's a necessity. Sometimes it might be the case where a man and a woman truly cannot reconcile and it's actually better for both of them in terms of their akhirah and their dunya to part ways. So the Prophet taught what is the most noble way to issue a talaq. And he said, and I should make this clear actually today because there's a gross misconception definitely in Pakistan and the of talaq. The Prophet taught that you should not give talaq in anger. Number one, you should not give, you should, you should only give one talaq to your wife. There's no need to give the three. People seem to misunderstand this. They think that you will only be separated if you give three. That's wrong. Whether you give three or give one, the iddat will start. When the iddat ends, that woman will be free. You gave her one talaq, the iddat ends, she's completely free. She can marry anyone she wants. She has nothing to do with you. She's no longer your wife. There's no need to give the third or even the second for that matter. But when you give one, what it allows you to do is during that period of iddat, which is three to four months, it's a particular way of calculating it, uh, you can perhaps return. Perhaps somebody might come and reconcile you and your wife. Perhaps you or her might on your own, or, or you and him, your, you and your husband, they on your own want to reconcile with one another. You're not supposed to give three. The Prophet censored, he called this talaqi bidat, as opposed to sunnah that this is makru, this is severely disliked, to launch all three bullets at once. So first of all, people in this country are not educated about how to, and I'm talking about extremely educated people. Extremely educated people come to me with decisions that made a team talaq day better. And they never even knew, and they want, I have to spend half an hour convincing them that they never have to give three. That they made a big mistake, they only had to give one. What type of education is that? What value is your education when you can't even know how to treat your wife properly? What value is your fancy degrees and your fancy house and your fancy car that you don't even know the Islamic teachings of maintaining the family and family values? And you can just drop three talaqs on your wife like an animal. Literally, I mean, I hate to be bold. But you have to speak about something. 
Maybe I'm engaging in some justifiable anger you guys are thinking. Right? Maybe this is some of the justifiable anger of Herod coming out live as a demonstration. Allah Akbar. And then they try to get out of it. Why? I was angry. It blows my mind. They think that being angry should now, not only have they reviled the Sharia by not following it, they go a second step and try to further revile it by trying to abrogate it. Your anger does not people murder when they're angry. That doesn't excuse them. They are guilty of murder. The crime has been committed and they will be prosecuted and all of the effects of that crime will fall into place. If a man divorces his woman in anger, that divorce is still affected. We cannot remove that divorce, take back that divorce, because it happened in a state of anger. Yes, it was wrong. You shouldn't have done it, 100%. But you have to face up to your consequences, right? And be amazed that the people who are living, actually, continuing to live in this illusion that, oh, and they're continuing to live as man and wife. Whereas under God, they are no longer man and wife. They are divorcees, right? Allah Ta'ala and people, why did Allah make it so easy to do divorce? Allah Ta'ala made it so easy to do nikah. You have to speak a few words kabiltu, right? I offer, I accept, but that's it, nikah. Nobody objects to that. Why did Allah Ta'ala make you? Words have power. This is why there's so much emphasis on your tongue, control your tongue. The Prophet said that there is an organ between two soft spots that are going, is going to drag a person to Jahannam that's in their tongue, right? So when we use our tongue, the tongue can have a noble purpose. And just to stick with this, that is a noble purpose to marry a woman or a man for the sake of the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To earn his pleasure. And nikahu nisful iman. Marriage is half of our iman. So our tongue has power. It can bring about nikah, it can bring about talaq. It can bring about words of nasiha, it can bring about deviance and misguidance. It can hurt somebody, it can hurt their heart, it can solace their heart. You can through your tongue... Be, Tongue, even if you don't have money, even if you cannot give charity, tongue, a kind word is a charity. A smile is a charity, the Prophet said. So this is a very powerful, we are beings of power. Allah Ta'ala has given us again ikhtiyar. If you don't have that hill, you don't have that forbearance, and you let yourself talk without any self-restraint, act without any self-restraint, think without self-restraint, feel without self-restraint, then all of those actions, statements, feelings, thoughts are going to have consequences. Allah has made this world in such a way that everything, every action has a consequence, right? And the actions of our tongue can have a consequence. So this also notion of anger, right? Uh, and so it should be clear that not only is anger not an excuse for doing anything, anger will not save you. Doing something in a state of anger will not save you in the sharia from the shari consequences of our actions. So all the more reason then not to act, not to dis- make a decision in a state of anger. Some people will suggest that uh, I cannot control my anger. It's impossible. Anything Allah Ta'ala has said that you can control, you're able to control. It might be difficult. Certainly, if you're 40, 50 years old and you've given into your anger every single day for 30, 40 years, and yes, you have numbed yourself to extreme level. It's going to be very difficult. But it's not. nothing's impossible. It's not impossible. Nothing in the deen is impossible. Due to our nafs, due to our lifestyle, due to our tabiyah, due to our laziness, we might have made things very difficult for ourselves. And truly, you know, when, when and maybe I should explain this, is also this very famous statement of the Prophet that deen is ease. Right? Also remember that this is not something, uh, this is not an imported ease. <laughs> Islam has a built-in ease. Islam has its own ease. 
The ease of materialism cannot be pasted on Islam. The ease offered by secularism cannot be posted on Islam. The ease offered by fashion, culture, society, modernity cannot be pasted on Islam. This is something from within Islam. Whatever ease exists in Islam existed at the time of the Sahaba, existed at the time of the Tabi'in. There's nothing new that's going to come up that's quote-unquote easy about Islam. And actually I would tell you the simple secret to understanding this hadith, the deen of Islam is extremely easy for a mu'min, for a believer, for the person who follows his verse of the Quran, that those who believe are extreme in their love, shadid, ashad, ashad hubban lillah, ashad in their muhabbat for Allah. If you have deep love, everything, love makes everything easy, right? It's a labor of love. That's what people call it. This is a muhabbat or a phrase, an idiom in English, right? And that thing which is a labor of love is not felt. You don't feel that pain, right? Whether it's when the mother does something for the son that would otherwise have been difficult to do for any random 18-year-old man is extremely easy because she has love for her son, right? So the deen is easy if you bring to the deen the sifat mu'minana that are mentioned in the Quran al-Karim. And until and otherwise making those sifat in ourselves is difficult. It's difficult, especially the further and further we have strained from them. So don't think that no deen is easy. So what actually what people do literally, they misunderstand the statement. The easy way I can explain to you is they understand this statement vice versa. Ease is deen. That actually is Al Yusru Deen. That's what they are thinking. The Muslim didn't say that. The Jambi Asani Vubi Dinagan, right? People admittedly in Urdu you can catch them. Ji Deen me asani hai. Unheard of, right? Unheard of. Right? And I'm also clarifying, I was explaining this to you guys the other day also, that the middle path, the middle path is not the middle path between Islam and secularism. That's not the middle path between Islam and modernity. No. The middle path is within Islam. Islam itself is a middle path. You cannot say that I'm in between Abu Bakr and Abu Jahl. That's my life. Look at my life. I'm in between. No, 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 no. Middle path is within the Sahaba. You want to find a middle path, you find it between Abu Bakr and Umar, between Umar and Uthman, between Abu Bakr and Ali. That is a middle path. It's just like, it's, you know, I used to do this for you guys in class. The midpoint is dependent where you draw the goalposts, right? If one in ten are the goalposts and five is the middle, if one in a hundred is the goalpost, fifty is the middle. If one in a thousand is the goalpost, five hundred is the middle. They're all middles. It really, middle is a relative thing as compared to what you're looking at, right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us people who adorn ourselves with all of the sifat. May He guide us to the path of forbearance and humility, hilam and ij, so that in the adornment of those noble attributes, inshallah, automatically these reprehensible attributes are removed. May He save us from acting in anger from the ill consequences of anger. May he forgive us and enable us to earn the forgiveness of others whom we may have hurt in, in making our decisions and choices in anger.